Jesus House in pursuit of God, discovering purpose, maximizing potential, impacting lives. This message is being brought to you from Jesus House London. God bless you. Father, we thank you for your word. The entrance of your word will bring light, O oh God, into our lives. It will destroy yokes, lift burdens, Heavenly Father. It will bring about a complete change in circumstances to cause them to line up, Heavenly Father, with what heaven has dictated. That will be our portion in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Amen. The title for today's message, it's part of our journey um, we haven't stopped that journey. We will not stop that journey until we are firmly in terms of the journey. We are already there. We are, we are already in the promised land. But in terms of bringing revelation, information, and understanding that will help us to enforce what has already been given to us, we're still on that journey into God's promises. Um, and the title for today's message is Don't Be Ensnared at Kadesh. You know, Kadesh was the place where Moses was finally trapped by the enemy. And we all will go through many stops at Kadesh. And my prayer for you is that you will not be ensnared when you get to your Kadesh. Numbers, the 20th chapter and the 12th verse. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe me to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. Well, you know how we arrived at that. Um, Moses uh, was leading the children of Israel into the promised land. I believe that that was his destiny, to take them into the promised land. But then the children of Israel murmured, complained, they provoked him. And as the psalmist says so graphically in Psalms 106, verses 32 and 33, Moses reacted in anger. The Bible says exploded in anger, spoke to them out of his bitterness, struck the rock in disobedience to God, and made a statement that seemed to imply that he was equating himself with God in a way that he shouldn't have. The sum total of that was that there was judgment that came upon him, and the judgment was that it was over for him. He wouldn't be leading them into the promised land. And we said we could learn many things from that. We looked at Hebrews, the 12th chapter and the first verse. And that scripture pointed out two things that we could see uh, had led Moses to the point where the enemy trapped him and caused him to make that calamitous mistake at Kadesh. Hebrews 12 verse 1, the Passion Translation. As for us, we have all these great witnesses who encircle us like clouds. So we must let go of every wound that has pierced us and the sin which we so easily fall into. Then we will be able to run life's marathon race with passion and determination for the path has already been marked out for us. And we said there are basically two things um, that the writer is saying. Well, three things. Of course, there's the cloud of witnesses, whatever we think that is. There are different schools of thoughts as to what the cloud of witnesses is. Some believe that it is uh, uh, saints departed, patriarchs of old, uh, who are in heaven cheering us on. Um, but whatever it is, there are two things 
um, that the Bible puts before us that can trip us off, can stop us from running the race, can weigh us down, can disable us and prevent us from running that race and finishing with distinction. One of them we spoke about last week, uh, the weight or the wounds that pierce us. The second one we're going to start talking about this week, um, but we won't finish talking about it today. We will finish talking about it next week. Um, but let's see how far we can go today. The, the, the sin which we so easily fall into, the New King James Version would say, the sin which so easily ensnares us. Now, it's important for us to understand the nature of sin in terms of how it affects us. And I want to explain this to you, and I would like you to pay very, very serious attention because I need you to understand this for us to go on and deal with the sin that so easily ensnares us. Now, sin operates with regards to us in two ways. There is the old man, and then there is the flesh. The old man is that nature that is molded after Adam. At its core, it is rebellious against God and his commands. It is very much at home in sin in the same way that a pig is at home in the muck that the pig lives in. It enjoys it. It luxuriates in it. It accommodates it. It feeds it. It's friendly with it. It's at home with it. And the old man is all those things with sin. It's at home with sin. It's its natural, the old man's natural habitat. The old man, that old nature that is molded, patterned after Adam, cannot yield and does not submit to God. And the evidence is clear because in a futile attempt to control the old man, the laws were enacted, including all the many laws, including the Ten Commandments. But as you know, those laws failed to tame the old man or kill the old man. They failed woefully. In fact, all they did was, in a sense, fuel the activities of the old man by putting a mirror before the old man. The old man understood that this is what I'm doing, but there was no power within the law to stop the old nature from blossoming and, and flourishing. And that old man is the Adamic nature. It's, it's who we were before Christ. We couldn't help ourselves. We, we enjoyed it. We accommodated it. We luxuriated in it. We were at home with sin. It was our companion, our partner, our friend. That's how we lived our life. And even when we thought we, we should do something about it, because maybe of some goodness in our conscience, we felt this was wrong. Most people will testify that they wanted to do something but were unable to. It just literally had us as a slave. In that old nature, that old man, 
we were the slaves to sin. But then Jesus comes along. Because you see, the old man could not be killed by anything else but by the grace that Jesus brought. So the Bible says in Romans, the sixth chapter, verses five to six, I hope you're staying with me. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. So here we are trapped in sin. We can't help ourselves. We are, we are swimming in it, living in it. We are eating it. We are sleeping with it. It's our partner. It's a friend, a companion. It's following us everywhere. And it comes with the consequences. It's not just hanging around for the sake of hanging around. It's hanging around with consequences. The wages of sin is death, the Bible tells us. So there's the, cons the consequences are death. We are dying. Eventually, of course, we will die physically. But spiritually, we are dead. There's no connection to God. We are separated from Him. There's a schism, a gap between, between God and us. And we are trapped in sin. We have become a slave to it. It controls our lives. It makes us do things that we hate. We regret it after, but we've already done it. We've already said it. We've already acted it out. But there are regrets, but there is no power to do anything. We are trapped in that old man. But then the love of God causes Jesus to come. He comes with grace, unmerited favor. Literally what he says is, I will take on the old man for you. He will be crucified with me. He will then die because he's crucified with me, and I will die. I will be resurrected, but I will not allow the old man to come back to life. When I come back to life, it will be with a new person, which you I will offer you. But the key to what happened at the cross, to partaking of that death, of the old man. Jesus has done it for us. We could not do it ourselves. The rules could not do it. The law could not do it. So Jesus says, don't worry. It's almost like I'm going to hug and embrace him and take him to the cross with me, this old man. And when I am crucified and I die, the old man dies. That old nature dies. But the key to Partaking of the death of that old nature is something that has to happen. If it doesn't happen, the old man is dead, but we have not taken advantage of it, partaking of it, so the old man can still remain alive in us. There are billions who are roaming around the world, still, still trapped in that nature of the old man, even though Jesus died 2,700 years ago, because they have not done this one thing that I am saying we have to do to partake of what happened. And the Bible says that if we had been united together with him in the likeness of his death, we partake of this. This death of this old man, 
if we are united with Christ, when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we identify with his death and resurrection by that acceptance at salvation. We are joined with him by accepting him into our lives. We are joined with him and we can benefit, we can partake from what happened at the cross of Calvary. If we don't join with him, if we are not united with him, if we don't receive him and receive the benefit of the death and resurrection at the cross, we can continue to exist trapped in the nature of the old man. So Jesus does it. We just receive it by being joined with him in it. We don't have the power to deal with it. So Jesus says, that's okay. This is the beauty of Christianity. This is why I would always be a Christian. I, there are other faiths, but no faith offers me what the Christian faith offers me. That my Savior says, you can't do it yourself. You will be trapped by this old man. That old nature will control you. You will continue to be a slave. So I, I will do it for you and offer it to you. Done. And all you have to do is accept it. And how do you accept it? By being joined with him, being united with him, by submitting to him, accepting him as Lord and Savior. And as you do that, automatically you are a beneficiary of what happened at the cross, the death and resurrection. We are joined with him. And you know, the Bible talks about this joining or this being united in so many ways, using, so ma using other, some other language. For example, in Romans, the 11th chapter and the 17th and 18th verse, when Paul is addressing uh, those who are believers but not Jews, and just warning them not to get carried away because they are believers and there are some Jews who are not believers. He says to them, verses 17 and 18, he says, however, some of the branches have been pruned away, and you who were once nothing more than a wild olive branch, and that's what we were in our sin, wild. God has grafted in, inserting you among the, inserting you among the remaining branches as a joint partner to share in the wonderful riches of the cultivated olive stem. So don't be so arrogant as to believe that you are superior to the natural branches. There's no reason to boast, for the new branches don't support the root, but you owe your life to the root that supports you. Powerful scripture. We owe our life to the root that supports us. The root that supports us is Jesus Christ. By this amazing miracle of grace, God takes wild olive branches that are, are wild, out of order, out of control, and that's what we wear in our sin, controlled by a slave master that caused us to be rebellious, disobedient to God, that trapped us in this pigsty, rolling around in the murk. It wasn't designed for us. We're not pigs. But then out of love and by the grace of God, he grafts us in, he inserts us as a joint partner 
What an amazing privilege. We are joint partners. That's why the Bible calls us joint heirs with Christ. It is incredible to imagine that you and I are elevated to that privileged position where God himself pronounces that you are a joint heir. You own it. You have the inheritance just as my son Jesus Christ has the inheritance. Somebody should say hallelujah to that. He says, you're, he says we are grafted in to share in the wonderful riches of the cultivated olive stem. The cultivated olive stem, that's Jesus Christ. We are grafted in, we are taken and we are connected so that we share in those riches. And the biggest part of, of those riches is that we share in the death and resurrection. In the death, the old man is dead. He says, I am the vine, and my father is the vine dresser. John 15, verse 1. He is the vine. His father is the vine dresser. Graphic picture. He goes on in verse 4 to say, abide in me. Again, is that, that other word for joining, uniting, abiding. Becoming a part of, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. The old man is dead by crucifixion. We partake of that death when we are united, we are joined with, we abide with, with, with him. We accept him as our Lord and Savior. But it's not just the death of the old man, for there would be a vacuum. If the death of the old man, that nature that is modeled and patterned after Adam, if it is destroyed, killed, and nothing takes its place, so there is a resurrection. So we partake, we share in the death. The old man dies, but we also share in the resurrection. And what comes to life, what is raised up and offered to us is a new man. So when we give our lives to Christ, we are, the, we, we, we are the new man. So the Bible says all things are passed away. What the Bible means is that the old man is gone. Behold, all things are new. What the Bible means is that a new man has come. A new nature is there for you and I, offered to us. And so if I'm a born-again Christian, I am a new man. And that new man is that nature that instinctively obeys God and wants to please him. That is a born-again Christian. Instinctively obeys God and wants to please him. He's driven, she's driven by pleasing God. She's no longer comfortable in the mark. She can't accommodate it anymore like she used to. It's no longer a friend. On the contrary, it's now an enemy. It's not a companion. Because now all things are put away. The old man is crucified. The old man is dead. The old nature can't be there at the same time as the new nature. A new man that wants to please God that is modeled in the same way the old man was modeled after Adam. 
The new man is modeled after our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And the Bible encourages us to embrace this new man. In Ephesians, the fourth chapter and the 24th verse, the Bible says that it encourages us to put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. You put on the new man. Put it on. It's an active word. You've got to do, do that. Put it on. Embrace it. And that is your identity if you are saved, if your conversion is genuine. That is your identity. The Passion Translation says that same scripture, Ephesians 4 verse 24. And be transformed as you embrace the glorious Christ within as your new life and live in union with him. For, he, for God has recreated you all over again in his perfect righteousness and you now belong to him in the realm of true holiness. That is an amazing scripture. That a transformation genuinely takes place. The old man is gone, he's dead, he's crucified. And a transformation takes place as we embrace what happened at the cross of Calvary, the death of the old man, the resurrection of the new man. And then we commit ourselves to living in union with him. What has happened, the Bible said, is, says, is that God has recreated you all over again. That's the beauty of being born again. We have been recreated all over again by God in his perfect righteousness and you now belong to him in the realm of true holiness. That's why it is incompatible for a born-again Christian, a genuine believer, someone who has genuinely been converted, to live a life of habitual sin, a lifestyle of habitual sin. If that is happening, I would question whether that person has had a genuine conversion. Because a human being can't feel comfortable in a pigsty. If you and I were trapped in a pigsty and forced to roll around in the muck, we can't feel comfortable doing it. We will hate doing it. We will want to get out of there. We will know that this is not our natural habitat. We don't look forward to it. We are not accommodating it. We are not, we are not holding it and, 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 and sleeping in it and with it. We are not doing any of that because it's just not our natural habitat anymore. That old man that was comfortable here is dead. This is a new person and I just don't feel I should be here. And we have to accept that not just as a fact, but as truth. We have to accept when, we've, when we give our lives to Christ, something has to take place in our minds, our souls, our spirits driving it. The Bible says we must reckon ourselves. That means we must, we must take stock. A reckon is an accounting term. We must put, put, 
plus and minus, and we must arrive at the conclusion that this is the truth. Uh, Romans 6, verse 10 to 11. For the death that he died, he died to sin once and for all. He died to sin. He didn't have to. He took it on. He embraced the old man in you and I and took him to the cross. I, I dare say the old man must have been screaming and trying to get loose. And Jesus said, no, I am going to be crucified. You are going to be crucified with me so that my brothers and sisters can be set free from you. Today you meet your death. Says he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lived, of course there was resurrection. He lives to God. And then he says, so also, likewise, you also, how do I partake of what actually happened on the cross? It wasn't a myth, it's not a fable, it was reality. The nails were driven into his hands, the thorns were pierced into his head, the spear was thrust into his side, he eventually gave up the ghost. Uh, it is true, it happened, but how does that affect me? It affects me because I can partake of it. How do I partake of it? He says you have to reckon yourself. You, you have to reckon yourself. Do your accounting yourself. You know, think it through. Come to the place of reckoning yourself to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The enemy will come to try and tell you that the old man is alive. You must have reckoned yourself to the point where you can say to the enemy, it's not true, the old man is not alive. Look at the way the Passion Translation puts it. Verses 10 to 11, Romans, the sixth chapter. For by his sacrifice, he died to sin's power once and for all. You see, it was all about a power contest. And he knew that I, to help them, my brothers and sisters, the children of God, I have to take this old man, hold him, and together we are killed. But because I have more power, because all power belongs to me, I will bring myself back to life by the Spirit of God he will raise me up from the dead, but the old man will remain dead because the Spirit of God is not going to raise him. And when he raises me from the dead, he raises me with a new person that I, can off that I offer to them and so they can leave the dead old man and continue to live in the new man, what we call the resurrected life. He says, but he now lives continuously for the Father's pleasure. So let it be the same way with you. Since you are now joined with him, if you are joined with him. And that's the big question. Because you see, like he says, on that last day, many will come and say, Lord, 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 but we did this for you, we did this for you. What are the people saying? They are presenting activity. But Jesus is saying, no, I didn't know you. What is he saying? You were not joined with me. You were not intimately connected with me. There was a lot of activity. I attended this church. I went to that church. I gave this money. I helped this person. I did this. And some of those things might be good. But good things don't get us to an eternity with him. It is the fact that we are joined to him. Out of that, we do the good things. So he says, you're now joined with him. You must continually view yourself. It's the view that you choose. It's the same thing as the, the New King James says, reckon yourself. It's what you choose to see. View yourselves as dead and unresponsive to sin's appeal while living daily for God's pleasure in union with Jesus, the anointed one. Join to him in union with him. Having a view that says, that old man is dead. I'm not a 
pig that's going to enjoy the mock anymore. No, I'm a child of God destined to live in a palace, not a pigsty. And I can't continue to luxuriate in this filth and this mess. If, if someone has had a genuine conversion and they can continue to luxuriate in the mess, they can continue to habitually live that kind of lifestyle. They commit a sin of any kind, but there, there's, no, there's no remorse, there's no conviction by the Spirit. On the contrary, they are looking forward as they are committing the sin to going back to doing it. They excuse the sin. Then I would suggest to them that they might have been involved in activity, but they need to check the state of the union, the state of their union with Jesus. Because it might not exist at all. So what does all that mean? Does that mean that a child of God does not sin? No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying a child of God does not luxuriate in it, enjoy the sin, plan for the sin, uh, meditate upon it, be premeditated in their planning, accommodate it, befriend it, have it as a companion, best friend, just make excuses for it. No, that's not a child of God. But as children of God, as Christians, we do sin and we do make mistakes. The Bible calls it falling into sin. And you see, the, the, these words are key. You see, there's a difference from living in it and falling into it. The Bible says in Matthew, the 26th chapter, verse 41, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. The New Living Translation says, same scripture, keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation, for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. The Amplified Classic, same scripture, says, all of you must keep awake, give strict attention, be cautious and active, and watch and pray that you may not come into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And what, is, what are the key words there that help us understand the difference between living in it, the old man, and falling into it? The difference are those words, entering into temptation. One translation says, now to enter would mean that you were outside of it. And so you entered. So Jesus says, Watch and pray so that you don't enter into temptation. Of course, he's not talking to unbelievers. He's talking to believers. He was talking to his disciples. He was acknowledging that if you're not careful watching and praying, even though you're a Christian, you can, you're, you're, you can find yourself entering into sin. He says there, watch and pray so that you don't give in to temptation. Now, that tells us very clearly that to give in would suggest that you have been you have not been giving in. You have been resisting it. So it is possible, good Christian, you're resisting the sin. If you're not watchful and prayerful, you can give in to the pressure of the sin, the lure of the sin. You are a Christian, but you can give in. And he says in the last, in the last, in the last one that you may not come into temptation. Now that means, of course, that you were out of it, and there's a chance that if you're not watchful and prayerful, you can come into it. You can be lured, deceived into it. But you are a Christian. And he, he anchors all that 
the giving in, the coming in, the, 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 the entering. He anchors it on a willing spirit, but a weak flesh. Now, that's not the old man. The old man is not a willing spirit in any way. The old man is very unwilling in every way to come alongside God, be obedient to God, or be submitted to God. But the new man, this new man that's been described at this point, is willing in the spirit. But the Bible says the challenge is the flesh. The new man with a weak flesh. And you can imagine the examples. A wonderful sister in church serves in church the deaconess of the year. But then in an area of her life, she's weak. She is impatient and has a caustic tongue. But then she's deaconess of the year in Jesus' house. I'm not saying that there's any such person in Jesus' house. But then her, when her husband crosses the line, she finds that vitriol comes out of her mouth as she hacks him with her tongue. What's the lady's problem? She's not living in sin. It doesn't happen every, every two seconds. Most people in church don't know that she's like that. But there's an area of her life where the flesh is weak. Or the gentleman in church who no one knows that he's struggling with pornography. No one knows. He's very dignified in church. People look up to him. But at night, he just can't help himself as he goes to his computer he knows the sites to go to and he luxuriates, he, he, he partakes of the sin of sexual immorality. Or the lady in church who has this boyfriend who won't go away. And for months, she keeps him at bay. She's coming to church. She's listening to all the sermons. She's determined she's going to get it right. She's done well for 2020. The last four months of 2020, but in the last two weeks, he called. Despite the lockdown, she let him in. She found herself visiting old haunts. She woke up and her heart was broken. The spirit was willing as she listened to the messages, read the Bible, but the flesh was weak. Or the gentleman who can't control his anger. Good Christian. Upright. People look up to him, but his anger, he can't control it. The flesh in that area is weak. You see, that's not the old man. The young girl that finds that she's drawn to gossip, but she's a good Christian. She comes to church. She, 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 she's... she's She's reading the Bible. She's trying to forge her head. So she is a Christian. But in that particular area, the flesh is weak. She just finds that, like the, like, like the, the wise king says about gossip, 
when she hears it, it's like a, a lovely muscle that she, she puts in her mouth and, 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 and it just, she enjoys the taste as it goes down into the deepest parts of her being. And at the end of it, she's saying, why did I get involved? The flesh is weak. You see, the problem is the flesh. That was Moses' problem. A, a most out, outstanding man of God. But he had not dealt with that area of the flesh. And what is that area of the flesh? It is that part of us that is not yielded to, submitted to, or led by the Spirit of God. It is our carnal nature. And Paul spends so much of, of the New Testament in his writings addressing this part of, our, of, of us. So it is, we are the new man, but the new man has certain parts of it that are still weak. The flesh, they are ruled by our carnal nature. They are not submitted, yielded, and led by the Spirit of God. And today in the body of Christ, we have... The body of Christ are washed with the phenomenon of carnal Christians. People who are born again, heading to heaven, they are in union with Christ, but there are parts of their lives that are where the flesh, that, that, that part of us that is not submitted or yielded to, to, to the Spirit of God, led by the Spirit of God, that part of us that is still wild, still out of control, and that's what the enemy preys on. And next week I will tell you how he preys on it and how you can make sure that you shut that door because you cannot afford to be ensnared at Kadesh. The Bible says that if you read that scripture as I end, Hebrews the 12th chapter, the Bible says that we run life's marathon. It's a race we run with passion and determination. And we run a path that has already been marked out before us. Every one of us has a path marked out before us. Moses' path that was marked out before him should have ended in the promised land. Unfortunately, it ended prematurely. That will not be your portion. And it will not be your portion because, of course, you have put off the old man. You have joined with Christ and the old man has been crucified. He has no control over you. You are now in the new man. But then there might be areas where the flesh is still strong in the new man. Now you have to deal with that. And next week we will talk about how to do that. Because Moses didn't deal with it. It caught up with him. He was ensnared at Kadesh. You will not be ensnared at any Kadesh you come to. You will enter your promised land and live in it. Maximize it and enjoy it. But there might be someone out there who is still under the control of the old man, that nature that models itself after Adam. And you know yourself. You haven't accepted Jesus Christ. 
as your Lord and Savior. You're not in union with him, not united with him. You're not joined with him. You don't abide in him. Now, how do you do that? By, by accepting him as your Lord and Savior. And then you can start the journey to dealing with any areas of weakness in your new nature as a result of your flesh. But you haven't done that. You haven't done the first step. And you, you want to crucify that old man. You want to receive power to turn away from that life, move forward. Well, this is a, a wonderful opportunity. He's asking if you will let him come in. The Bible says he's knocking on the door of your heart. But you have to let him come in. You have to open that door. And I pray that someone is saying, you know what, I want to open that door. I want to be joined with him, united with him. I want to be one with him. And if you're that person, will you say this prayer after me? Heavenly Father, I thank you. For today, I open the door of my heart to Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I am joined with him and I partake of the crucifixion and resurrection that he went through on the cross of Calvary. By opening my heart, I turn away from anything I'm doing that is sinful or displeasing to him. Father, give me the grace to live a life that is pleasing to him. Lord Jesus, I declare that you are my Lord and Savior. And so I reckon myself now dead to sin. I do away with that old nature as I embrace the new me. I am now born again. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, congratulations. Uh, congratulations to your new man. The old man is dead. The new man has risen. Hallelujah. Amen and amen. Well, church, um, God bless you. I, I, I hope you will allow the Spirit of God to amplify that word. It's important that you really get, understand uh, that distinction between the old man, the new man, and the flesh. Um, and then we can go on into practical ways uh, to make sure that we are not ensnared um, by the flesh. How does the devil do it? And how can we make sure we don't fall victim to his plots? Hallelujah. God bless you.